0: The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at org. Well, good morning. What an incredible service it was to have all these baptisms and celebrating what the Lord's doing in people's lives. Um, oh, look, I'm distracted. I just saw this. In the first service, y'all missed out on something. I like to share all things that happens in our church in both services so no one feels left out. But last week, I had a little issue. I got up here to... There was a mic problem, so I tried to read for Kevin on his Bible, but the print was so small. I couldn't, and I just had to admit that in front of everybody, and then Allison handed me her readers. And so this week on my, on my pulpit, I found this. It says, As Jesus asked in Mark 8, 18, Do you have eyes but fail to see? <laughs> Go ahead, wear the reading glasses. It's apparent to all of us over the magic age of 40. If you wear these, they will not only improve your vision, but they will make you look scholarly. (laughs) So, we're in Genesis. No, I can't do it. I can't do it. But I do. I did nail the person. I said, Marcy Spears, you did this, and she confessed. It was Marcy. So, I know it's distinguished, but I don't want y'all to feel less about yourself, so I'm not going to wear them. I'm going to read from 16-point font nowadays. So uh, where are we in our study of Genesis? Well, last week we looked at the Tower of Babel, and what did we see? We said Babel was a picture of the pagan nations, that we saw Noah's kids spread to all the nations, and then the author shows us a little insight to what all the nations are like. We see a picture of ourselves apart from Christ and the change that he makes in us. But what we saw was there were three characteristics of ourselves, of human nature. Self-directing, self-relying, and therefore self-exalting. That that's the human nature apart from the transformative work of Christ. We want to decide for ourselves what we're going to do, where we're going to go. We're self-directing. And we want to do what we feel like we are capable of doing, where we rely on our own strength, self-reliance. And therefore, we build a name to ourselves. We are like the Babylonians, building a tower of Babel, which was to make a name for themselves. And so, we could all relate, if we're honest, with what we saw last week in that text. But I was thinking this week... Uh, I guess I'm putting on on the text something that's not there. I don't see this in the text. I'm just kind of relating to that reality in my own experience when I say this. And so here's what I want to say. When you are self-directing, doing what you want to do with your own strength, doing the things that you feel like you can do and only those things, and you're building a name for yourself, you know what that's a formula for? That is a formula for a boring life. That's boring. I mean, that may not be what Abram's experience was, but I'm putting him there because that's, that's kind of how I feel. When I was in the business world uh, about seems like forever ago now, over 20 years ago, I was self-directing my own life, deciding what I was going to do, when I was going to do it, how I was going to do it. I was going to do those things that I felt I could do in my own street. I was going to get the CPA, CFP, Series 7, and all these designations. And I was making a great living. I was riding up that corporate ladder, and things were great. I was building a name for myself in this community. But you know what? I was bored out of my mind. I got up and I thought this is not what life is meant to be. There's got to be more. And thank God that I knew it was that was the problem and I didn't turn to something else to to find excitement in life that led down a terrible path of destruction, but I turned to what is God's will and I was really wrestling with that. What is what is God calling me to do? Now, my call is different than your call. Everybody's own call is different, but what is God calling me to do? And I was really wrestling with that in a stage of my career where I was beating the bushes for, uh, for investments, where I would try to get clients and I would want to invest their money. And to do that, you've got to, for most of your time until you get established, you've got to really work hard to find those clients. And so my wife was, was wise enough to say, well, why don't you Just consider where you are, your your place of ministry, until the Lord opens up a a full-time ministry position. But this is where the Lord has us right now. And, And she was right. So for the first time, I finally said, okay, Lord, this is why you have me here. Your mission, your glory. So I began to pray for the first time. I said, Lord, any potential client that comes to me, I'm going to first consider you've brought them to me because they need ministry. They need you. Instead of just thinking about what they could provide for me as in an investment and a commission, I said, the Lord wants me to be a blessing to them. And it revolutionized my life and my view of business and what I was supposed to be doing. At that stage in my game, people weren't calling me and saying, hey, I've heard how great you are. I wanna give you my money. I was shaking the bushes looking for people. But after I prayed that, it won't always happen this way. But for me at that experience, after I committed this to the Lord, I got a phone call, someone saying, hey, I I saw your name in the paper a year ago and I wanna talk to you about investments. And I was like, wow, okay, So I said, all right, Lord, this is all about you and your glory first. So I remember 20 years ago, I still remember that day. I'm sitting at her kitchen table. She has money to invest because she had a wrongful injury case that she had gotten money from. And instead of just going straight to the deal and and figuring out her risk tolerance and where she wants to invest, I said, how can I minister to you? And I never will forget that look on her face like confusion. Do what? I was like how can I minister to you? Obviously, you've gone through a lot. And, and I still remember her sharing through tears at her kitchen table, the pain that she had been through, the difficulty she had been through. And... I prayed with her, and I I shared with her and told her how God is faithful and God loves her. And, oh, by the way, at the end, she said, well, here, invest this money for me. The very next call I got was a gentleman who was sharing with me that he had come into money. And when I found out why, I knew God had put him there, that his wife had passed away, and this was insurance settlement. And instead of being all focused on how can I invest your money and how can I convince you that you can can secure your future through a good investment, I said, how can I pray for you? How can I love you well? How can I minister to you? Honestly, I don't think I even got that investment, but it was such an incredible experience to say, you know, it was scary to do that. It was scary to say, the Lord has these people coming to me for him first and If I talk to them about Jesus, they may not invest with me. And my livelihood depended on that. But God was faithful. And what I began to see is that was a lot better life. It was scary, but in that scary, there was a dependence on God that moved me from lukewarm self-reliance to God-dependent, God's reliance, God's glory. And it's a better life. It's a more exciting life. It's a more interesting life. To live the life that God has for you, it is a better life. And that's what we've been seeing in Genesis 1 through 11, which is the intro to your Bible. The intro to everything we talk about from here to the rest of the Bible, it's all been set up in these early themes. And what have we seen over and over in the garden, every step of the way, God wants what's best for you. God's will for your life is best. Don't believe the lies. Don't believe the illusion that security and safety is a better life. All that is is boring. It's what you can do in your strength, and you can't see any evidence of God in your life. I'm stating that in extremes, but you understand what I'm, where I'm coming from. And so today we're going to look at Abram, whom God calls out of Babylon, and we're going to see that he is called to something pretty scary. Here's his call. We're going to look at this today. God tells Abram, Go from your country, go from your kindred and your father's house, leave everything safe, leave everything familiar, leave everything comfortable, and go where? to a land that I will show you. And then it finishes, verse 3, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Lord, please use this time to call us out of our boring, comfortable, self-reliant lives into your exciting mission of blessing all the nations with your blessings. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're in chapter 12. Let me review where we left off. Last week, chapter 11, we saw the Tower of Babel. Remember, Noah's family was the next great hope after the world was completely sinful and gone wicked. The flood, and then you've got Noah saved because he trusted in God and walked with God. And now you see he has commanded, fill the earth with my blessings. And then his descendants are filling the earth. Only problem is we see they filled the earth with judgment. God scattered them to the ends of the earth. Why? Because they were self-directing, self-reliant, self-exalting people. And so we're saying, okay, is all hope lost? We're sitting on that side of the Tower of Babel going, okay, so now what? He was our next great hope. God promised to redeem and restore all the earth through the seed of a woman. We thought it was Noah. It's not Noah. We thought it was his sons. It's not maybe his sons. Where is God going to provide a child who will grow and be the redeemer and restorer of all hope? Well, the author picks up after the Tower of Babel, goes back up to to Shem, the son of Noah, and traces through a different son. This time, instead of going to Babylon, this son leads to Terah, who leads to Abram. Abram is the line of promise. God promises to restore all his blessings to humanity on this earth through a man named Abram. Who is Abram? Abram, ironically, is living the boring life in Babylon. He's in the nations. He's just like us. He's not special in his own right. He is self-reliant, self-directing, and self-exalting. But God calls him from that life, calls him to go where I direct you to go. And Abram is married. We are told in the verses leading up to chapter 12, Abram is married. Of all the things the author could have told us about Abram, he tells us, number one, he's from the pagan land of Babylon. Number two, he's married to Sarai. And you know what he tells us about Sarai? that they have no kids, and she can't have kids. And so these are what he tells us. Why? Because this is the couple from whom God's Savior will be born. And so what the author is doing is saying, this is impossible. Humanly, it can't be done. They can't have the future line of the Messiah. They can't have children. They can't be God's people. They're in Babylon. So the challenges are stacking up as we come to chapter 12 and we get to the call of Abram. Look at verses 1 through 3. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And in in him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Let's stop there and think about what's going on. I want to pull out two things from these three verses. We see a picture of salvation and we see the plan of God's blessing. In the picture of salvation, I've already hinted to it that Abram is living in Babylon. He's in the Ur of Chaldees. He's in Babylon, which we said is the pagan nations. And here God calls him out of that life and calls them to a new direction, to a new people. He makes all things new. He is a new creature after this. He has a new people that he's identifying with. He has a new mindset, a new mission, a new purpose. He is no longer self-directed. He is no longer self-reliant. He's no longer self-exalting. Everything is new and different. That's what God is doing for Abraham. That is a picture of our salvation. We will see in just a second that the line of Abraham, the story of the Bible, leads to Jesus Christ. The gospel message is that Jesus Christ, God calls you through Jesus out of the pagan nations. The Bible teaches us all are born sinful. We're all born a part of the nations and we need God to call us out of the nations. Do You know what? You're called as the church. The Greek word for church is ecclesia, That literally means called out ones. God has called you out to faith in Christ. And upon faith in Christ, the Spirit of God takes over and He transforms your heart and He gives you new desires. He gives you desires to live where God tells you to go, to do what God says. He tells you to rely on the Spirit of God for the empowerment, for the calling that He has on your life, so that your life is now bent on bringing glory to God. That's what God does when he calls you to Christ. So like Abraham, we see we are called out of the nations to trust in Christ for the impossible, to be saved. That's what these baptisms were testifying, that they said over and over, I thought it was me, I thought it was me, and then I realized it's Christ alone. The impossible you were called to is that God can save you and you can't save yourself. When we turn to Christ in faith we see the next aspect that we see in verses 1 through 3, and this is God's plan of blessing. Not only do we see a picture of personal salvation, but this text is, is the crux of your Bible. It's the fulcrum which everything turns. It's the foundation for all the stories. Over and over and over, the biblical authors will come back to this text, these three verses, and say, God is doing this because God promised Abraham he would do it. In this covenant, God is coming to Abram and saying, It is clear, you people can't do this. I'm going to do it for you. I'm going to be the blessing to all the nations, and I'm going to do it through your family in this land, through their descendants. There will be a blessing to all the nations. And so what we see is God blessed Adam and Eve saying, be fruitful and fill the earth with my blessings, right? We saw that. And then they filled the earth with sin. Noah, he got off the boat, had an altar to God of worship saying, I give you my life. And God says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth with my blessings. What happened? Tower of Babel shows us all the earth is filled with wickedness. And so God says, Abram, come here. I am going to do it through Abram. And this is the Abrahamic covenant. In this, he says to Abram, In you, Abram, I will bless all the families of the earth. So once again, God is continuing his mission. If you hear nothing else today, if you've heard nothing else the last few weeks, I hope you can answer at the dinner table after you've talked about Pastor Tracy's glasses I hope you can say, What is the mission of God? To bless all the families of the earth with His glory. That's what He's doing. That's what you are here for. That's the mission over your life. That's the banner over your heart. That's the purpose of your job. That's the purpose of your parenting. That's the purpose of your friendships. That's the purpose of your neighbors. God wants you to join him on mission to take his blessings to the ends of the earth, to every family on the earth. That's God's mission, and that should be your mission. So these two truths, personal salvation and God's mission, How do they relate to one another? We see that personal salvation serves God's mission. God calls Abram out of the nations, and then he says, I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing back to the nations. That's why you have been saved if you have trusted in Christ. The reason God has called you to faith in Christ He saved you in order to send you. He has blessed you in order to make you a blessing. That's why he did it. Has it been fuzzy for us to see in the scriptures? Absolutely not. It is crystal clear. Week after week, I'm like, do I just say the same thing again? Yep, say the same thing again. We are on mission to spread the glory of God to the ends of the earth. That's why we exist. So how does Abram do? God says, listen, I want you to go somewhere, but I'm not going to tell you up front where you're going. And by the way, I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave the comforts of your home. And I want to send you somewhere that I'm going to tell you later. How would you respond? How would you respond if you dared to ask God, where would you like me to go? anywhere and he said I want you to leave everything and I'm going to show you where what would you say what does Abram say let's look again at verses 1 through 3 as we look at Abram how he responds to God's call to go wherever God tells him to go now the Lord said to Abram go from country And your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So God's going to determine his steps. By the way, when we were praying to God about planting this church, the first thing that happened was we dared ask God, are you calling us to carry North Carolina? Because there was a church talking through a friend saying... We think we want him to come to North Carolina. And so God forced us into a scary place to say, Lord, do you want us to leave everything, leave our family, leave our friends, leave our home, leave our our city and go? And so we had to get on our knees and ask God that scary question. And then he said, no, I want you to plant in Shreveport, but I needed to uproot you. And then in verse 2, we see he says, I want you to be God-reliant. He says, I will make you a great nation. Now, telling Abraham and Sarah, they're going to have so many people that it will be a great nation. They were barren, and they had no kids. Clearly, this was something that only God can do. Can you imagine what that would be like for them? Is there anything in your life that you can say, this cannot be explained except for God? It's scary to live out there in faith. It's scary to go where God tells you to go because he tells you to go places that you're not sure you can do it. And that's where he wants you to live. But that's exciting also because you go from lukewarm, I don't need God. What am I supposed to do? Just have another cute little devotional to God, I need you. Imagine what we felt. Start a church that's high commitment in this part of town and tell everyone they're going to have to be in a small group and they're going to have to serve the body of Christ. I'm so sure big-time business owners are going to take trash out and change filters and doctors are going to be working on our building. I'm so sure. And that's exactly what God's doing. God delivers on His promises. So he says, be God-directing. Let me tell you where you're going to go. Be God-reliant. Only I can make you a great nation. And finally, be God-exalting. We see in verse 3, I will bless you. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. In all the families of the earth, they shall be blessed because God says, I will honor my own name. But notice in that he says, I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. God says, I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. Do you have so that written over your life? Every blessing God has given you is so that you will use it on mission for his glory. He has blessed you to bless others. And that doesn't mean just to be nice. It means to spread the glory of God because that's his mission. God's purpose Over your life is so that I have brought you those clients so that you will glorify me in their lives. I have blessed you with children so that you will teach them to glorify my name. I have given you those neighbors so that you will represent me in that neighborhood. I have provided the opportunity to go on a mission trip so that you will participate in the mission of God All the blessings in your life are so that you will glorify his name with them. It's complicated to look at Abram's response in verse 4. Go where I tell you, do the impossible for my name's sake. Verse 4 says, so Abraham, what does it say? went well that's simple wait wait what what did Abraham do as the Lord had told him yeah well his circumstances were probably a little better no he brought Lot with him why does he have Lot well in the verses we didn't read Lot's his nephew Lot's dad was dead so he's taking care of Lot Abram was probably young and energetic. Now he's 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took his wife, Sarah. Well, they obviously knew they could accomplish the task. No, they had no kids. She was barren. Lot, his brother's son, took all their possessions that they had gathered and, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. They set out to do the impossible. Why? Because that's what God said to do. And that's what you do when you say you're walking with God. You don't walk over here when God's walking over there and say, I'm walking with God. I know he's going that way, but I'm going this way. So what do we see? What do we learn about Abram? Abram obeyed. So what have we learned in Genesis 1 through 11 that means about Abram? Abram obeyed, therefore Abram what? God. Abram obeyed, so therefore Abram what? Trusted God. Abram trusted God. Abram walked with God. Abram faithed God. You see what happens when you read these texts, that idea of faith in Jesus becomes more than just a cognitive assent to doctrine. It becomes this wholehearted, comprehensive trust in God Almighty, who is the Creator, who knows what's good, who is providing the best life for you, and says, Obey me. Obedience is the fruit of faith, obedience is evidence of trust in God. Those who trust God obey God. Those who obey God trust God. Those who eat of the tree of knowledge and good, of good and evil are trusting in themselves instead of God. Those who don't get on the ark aren't trusting in God, but those who do are saved by God. The whole picture is trust and obey. This must be our commitment. If we trust Jesus to restore the blessings of God in our life, then we must also commit to obeying the will of God and to laying our lives on the altar of God and worshiping him gratefully for his salvation and saying, God, all this life is yours. What would you have me do with it? Where would you have me go? How would you have me spend my time, my energy, my resources? And we know the answer. If you've been reading the Bible with us, you know the answer. According to his mission of taking his blessings to all the families of the earth through Jesus Christ. What will your response be? You are called... To be on mission for God. That's why you exist. If you have been called out of the nations to trust in Christ. Then you've been called to be on mission. It's not just the missionaries that go to Africa. It's every single person who has been saved. You have been saved in order to be sent. You have been blessed in order to be a blessing. You are called to pray for God's mission of extending his grace to the ends of the earth. You are called to pay for God's mission, funding, taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. You are called to participate in God's mission, to go when you have opportunities where the Lord tells you to go, you go. You are a missionary if you have been saved by faith in Jesus Christ. I feel very strongly that God is challenging Norris Ferry Church to enter into covenant with God, and I'm calling it a covenant of full surrender. To stop being self-determining, self-reliant, self-exalting, self-sufficient, independent people, God says, lay your life on the altar, and I want you to say, Anywhere you call me, Lord, I will go. And you will come alive when you have the courage to trust God that much. It's not a boring existence. It's not easy, but it's not boring. And I believe our culture is bored out of their mind. Just bored. All we do is look at the silly phone. We got everything we ever needed. We've reached our dreams. Now what? Just do it more? No, God has an incredible purpose for your life. He wants you to sign up to say, I will go anywhere you tell me to go because you are faithful. What an exciting call on your life. Every day you meet a person, it is significant. Every patient that you have, God brought them to you for his namesake. Every child you touch their life, you are there to impress them with the thumbprint of Jesus. There is no insignificant, meaningless minute in your life. It is all to the glory of God. And you are uniquely shaped and positioned for what God wants you to do. Don't compare yourself to anyone. You have a struggle. You struggle with something. Guess what? God has allowed that struggle because there are other people that God's gonna use that to bring you into their life and say, let me tell you about my struggle, but let me tell you how Jesus ministers to me in that struggle. You have an experience that you say, man, there's nothing good that come from that. Let me tell you, God says, I wanna use that experience to uniquely equip you for the glory of God. God is calling us to stop saying our will and say His will. To stop saying our strength and to say His strength so that we will stop being for our glory and for His glory. And we need to begin to take steps to view everything that we have in light of God's mission of making disciples of all nations. How is God going to use you? Finally, very briefly, we see a very encouraging note and a seemingly unimportant few verses. Verses 5 through 9, we see the author record that Abram goes into this land that is now considered the promised land. It says, when they came to the land of Canaan, remember that's Ham's descendants, Canaan, they're the pagan nations now living in this specific area which we now know in our geography as Israel. It's the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. That's why it's called the promised land. God promised to give Abram's offspring that land. So he built an altar there to the Lord. So the first mention was Shechem. Then from there, verse 8, from there he moved to the hill country east of Bethel. And it says that he settled in between Bethel and Ai. And there he built an altar there, and he called upon the name of the Lord. And then he journeyed on to the Negev. And you say, okay, what is the big deal about Shechem, Bethel, and Ai and Negev? And at first, it's like I don't really know. But what scholars point out is that throughout the rest of the Bible, the narratives, the author shapes the narratives very similar. When you read about Jacob, Jacob is called out of the nations to the promised land, and he visits and has an altar at Shechem between Bethel and Ai and in the Negev. And then you see Joshua entering to conquer the promised land, and the author intentionally records that he conquers Shechem between Bethel and Ai and into the region of Negev. What is he doing? What is the author showing you? The author is showing you that God did it for Abram, God did it for Jacob, God did it for Joshua, and God's going to do it for you. He's faithful generation after generation after generation. When he makes a promise, he keeps it. He's on a mission and nothing will stop him. And you have a choice. Will you align your life with his unstoppable mission and trust him and live for that purpose and know that he will do for you what he did for Joshua, what he did for Jacob, what he did for Abram, what he has always done. He will be faithful to you. You can trust Him. That's the point for us today. God is trustworthy. So just ask Him, what do you want from me? For most of you, it won't be a new location. It'll be I want you to start thinking this way. That person, that client, that patient, that student, that child, that neighbor is your mission field. Bless them in the name of Jesus. Bless them with the glory of God. Tell them that Jesus will bring redemption and restoration. Don't limit yourself. Don't cop out. The message over and over is it's only an illusion. It's not the better life. The better life is living out there, steps of faith, trusting God to the glory of God. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we praise you. We ask you for faith, courage, to make this covenant of surrender. Lord, life is found in trusting and obeying you. Help us to quit believing the lie that life is found in being safe and in control. Help us to commit to living for your glory, to live wherever you tell us to live, to to lean on your strength when we are in scary places of fear and uncertainty, and to do it all for your glory. Lord, I really believe that you are bringing us to a new day as a church, a new day that says we exist for the glory of God like never before. I believe you're going to call people to do things that scare them, and that they'll share it with their community groups, And they will trust you and they will obey you. And you're going to do great things because you are faithful. And you're going to glorify yourself through us. Let it be true of this church. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at NorrisFerryChurch.org.